Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about Roar, the eight-episode anthology series currently streaming on Apple TV+. And my guest is the production designer, Todd Felstead. Todd, welcome to Below the Line. Thanks, Skid. Now, warning for listeners, today's conversation may contain spoilers. Todd, let's start by talking about the show itself. Tell me about the nature of this show. So uh, Roar is an anthology. Um, There are eight half-hour episodes that are kind of their own little mini-movie. Um, And each of them uh, is based on a short story, or most of them, I should say. There's a couple that are not, from uh, Cecilia Ahern's book, Roar, same title, each of which are kind of a a bit of a fable. They're kind of surreal little short stories that uh, center around uh, one woman's specific struggles in the world and uh, and how she approaches them. And they're all a little bit funny and strange, uh, so much like, say, a Twilight Zone or a Black Mirror. Oh, that's a good comparisons on that. When we talk about uh, doing production design, I'm reminded of earlier this season when I spoke with Michael Perry, who was the production designer from Promising Young Woman. And he talked about bringing a masculine or feminine lens to each space that he was designing. But in that movie, the effect was meant to be subliminal, reinforcing the story. But tell me how Roar is different. Yeah, Roar is definitely different in that uh, a lot of what you are going to be learning about these characters is actually in the title. Um, it's very literal. Um, So what we're doing is we're taking a scenario, for example, um, where there's a trophy bride um, and in the story uh, that's called the woman who was kept on a shelf. We know right away from the title, uh, she's going to be on a shelf and we see it right away, the opening scenes. And there's really no secret. So it's kind of, it's a very blunt version of storytelling, much like a parable or a fairy tale. Um, It's not as uh, subtle as something uh, you would see in in other types of storytelling. Um, But that's kind of what I loved about it is that you're getting the data right away and so what you're contending with more is how is the character going to respond to this information and this type of setting um, so it opens up uh, my my team's ability to do just about anything that's that's the nice thing we don't have to be subtle and we're going to talk about some of those specific episodes in detail but uh, todd how did you get involved in this project so the showrunners uh liz and carly um i did uh three seasons of glow with them um we're longtime collaborators uh and and just really enjoy working together we have kind of a shorthand and when they called me about it it was that was a no-brainer i was like first of all a bunch of different aesthetics all under this you know rubric of being a kind of dark comedy fables like yes of course <laughs> i'll be right there uh, i was in atlanta at the time finishing up the series first lady flew back to, to los angeles and we got started within a few days and did these episodes run together? Or do you take breaks between them? When you are resetting for every episode, how does that work from a production design point of view and schedule-wise? Well, typically on a show, you're dealing with all the same characters, narratives, and a lot of the same locations and settings. Um, obviously, in this one, that's completely the opposite. So they there was no break. Uh, we definitely overlapped. Um, we did have to uh, change up how the team operates a little bit. Um, because obviously with, uh, with completely different aesthetics, you know, beat to beat overlapping um, and only about, you know, a few days to shoot each one. Um, that means you are prepping one while you're shooting another, while you're prepping another, while you're wrapping the last one. So we ended up having to have two different uh, set deck teams. Uh, traditionally, I would have one set deck greater in this scenario. We had, uh, we switched uh, episodes. So one was one, two was another, and uh, we flip flopped as we went along. Well, that episode you mentioned, uh, The Woman Who Was Kept on a Shelf, is actually one of my favorites. Let's let's talk more about that. Tell me about the shelf and going from concept and story to what we see on the screen. 
Well, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> when I first read that, I was, man, this is a this is a really interesting idea um, on paper. Visually, is it going to work? Is it going to look crazy? Um, and we had a lot of discussions. Liz and Carly are very hands on and in, in, uh, everything about the shows that they work on. So they, you know, they, they wanted to see imagery. We did mock ups. We did tests to make sure that the, the actress would be safe and comfortable since she's going to be up there for days shooting <laughs> um, everything from like let's do a padded seat to you know you know making sure it's counterweighted properly we had to build the wall separately to install into a, a mansion that had the right aesthetic we wanted uh, and then redress everything of course um, and make everything kind of merge together the overall flavor of what we were trying to accomplish was to bring this kind of fairy tale, um, Alice in Wonderland, um, Beauty and the Beast, um, Little Mermaid, that type of thing, of the uh, the female who eventually would meet her Prince Charming and everything would be fine. That kind of like you know, very dated <laughs> version of, of of a parable um, is challenged in this story. So we wanted to have it uh, represent the flavor of those types of stories. A little bit of Cinderella in there but still keep it contemporary. I won't lie by saying I didn't think about the Kardashians. I did. Um, <laughs> There's certain, there certain modern flavors of this story uh, that made their way into the aesthetic for sure. We talked about the house that her husband has that she moves in. Did you find the house first or do you already kind of know what the shelf was going to be and working on the, the actual production challenges of that while you're looking for the house? It was kind of a combination of the two. Um, we knew that we were most likely going to have to build our own wall that incorporated the the shelf, and, and you know it has to have a, a camera port window so we can see over her shoulder down to et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of like camera trick elements that uh, that had to be worked in, but of course finding the right house because we're in so many rooms and outside, and you know she comes and goes. So uh, we had to find a really good mansion. We looked at a whole bunch of them, but our our locations manager was fantastic. She she found this perfect fairy tale charming cinderella house uh that looks like something right out of like you know architectural digest so it definitely feels real um but still has that kind of corniness to it that we needed and so you built and shot on location you didn't have separate stage work for the shelf elements like because it's actually there's a lot of interaction with her on the shelf and what's going on in the room yeah it was kind of a combination we definitely did most of it on location but there's a lot of trick shots and the whole sequence where she's trying to get off the shelf and we see like you know the extended set there was a lot of visual effects there that was all done on a stage okay and then we had you know like other stage uh, elements as well like uh, she had her runway show at the beginning of the series where she's a model earlier in life and, you know multiple locations uh, on top of that um, the beach sequences and the, i don't want to give too much away there but the uh her, uh, her journey out into the world, obviously, was its own um, its own fun stuff. Well, and we've uh, warned our listeners on spoilers because I was curious how there's the, both the beach and then um, some scenes in Beverly Hills from a production design perspective, how those tie in. I think a lot of the idea was we were trying to stay kind of non-specific about where we were necessarily. Uh, we just knew we wanted her to be kind of in this posh um, and, and local posh uh, version of the world. So it was you know, the elegance of the beach and the beachgoers and that kind of like Spike Jones, um, It's Oh So Quiet, the Bjork video, that was a big influence. So we wanted to have that kind of familiar locals. Um, so we ended up finding a couple of spots uh, along the way to pick up little uh, neighborhood sequences where she goes into a store, or she goes into a makeup shop, she sees people on the street. Uh, that whole sequence had to feel very um, charming, you know, and, and musical, like a musical. One last question on on this episode. So there's a scene where the shelf gets damaged, 
Yeah. So as the production decider, like who is the special effects guys coming in and they're just going to, you know, take a hammer to your work or you working with them the whole time? How does how do you take a plot element like that and make it part of the production design? Well, we knew that was coming, obviously, because it was scripted. So there were a lot of tests ahead of time. And there and we did have a special effects guy on board who handled things like that. Um, so we would give him the uh, the uh, sculptural elements that were pieced together to create the shelf. He made them in different materials. We tested the materials. And of course, safety for the actor is always number one. You know, Betty is not an actor who is uh, going to be easily concerned over things like this. So she just went for it and just ripped the <laughs> shelf up. You hand her a crowbar and it's over. And she had fun. <laughs> it was mostly just plaster, but, uh, but it looked great on camera. I was, I was impressed with how she went for it. It was fun. I want to talk about an episode that has a completely different look, and that's the woman who found bite marks on her skin. Yes, that was the first one we shot. Um, we had Rashida Jones directing that one, um, and we really wanted to go for it on the horror element, um, uh, the kind of body horror, the Cronenberg flavor, um, wherein um, you're seeing through a character's eyes as they're experiencing something awful happening to their own body, and just the disturbing nature of that um, we really didn't want to, to pull any punches there. Uh, I know the makeup team got you know, really excited about this. We pulled some <laughs> horrifying imagery, things that I definitely needed to delete from my photos as soon as the episode was over. Uh, but then also, you know, keep the look of that, uh, that episode very high end. Um, we wanted, you know, this is a, a, you know, a family that, you know, they're not like rich, but she does work uh, at a finance company. She makes good money. He's a stay-at-home dad. And uh, they had a nice home, a very charming home. And then when we see her at work, obviously that needs to be a little higher end as well. Um, so it gave us an opportunity to kind of do almost like an Adrian Lyne type film, like a fatal attraction or, you know, something that, you know, uh, follows people who are a little more well-to-do around their lives to see what happens when things go wrong. And do you keep horror in your mind, even when designing these day-to-day -day sets, or do you let the story horror sort of carry through. Like, I'm curious how production design kind of adds into those elements. Yeah, there's definitely a juxtaposition that goes on. Like, um, for example, with their family home, um, there is the suggestion in the story that it's possible her daughter might be the one who's biting her. Um, so we wanted to uh, create like the child's room um, in a way that felt a little wilder. Um, so we did murals in the child's room that were like jungle inspired and like wild animals, a little bit uh, kind of like a Rousseau type vibe. And then a lot of the patterning there and fabrics and materials kind of played into that as well. Um, and then, of course, when we're in some of the locations like uh, the hospital, I know our, our DP, Q and Tran, who's amazing, um, she had a lot of ideas about how to create kind of eerie moods in those settings so that as you move down the hallway, lights turn off and on, you know, in an eerie way. Um, and that helped also drive a lot of the looks and the colors and, and such. You know, the hospital, I'm also um, thinking about that therapy room that she wanders into where there's all those moms and you've got that big backdrop. Like, talk to me about that coming together. So that was, uh, we shot at a real hospital for a lot of these sequences, um, a closed down wing of the hospital and, and kind of had to make it our own. Um, and for that sequence, we wanted it to feel like gradually as she's um, waking up, leaving her hospital bed and moving into the hallway, that it gets eerier and eerier and more surreal and less um, like she's in less and less control. And so as she enters this hallway, um, we found a spot that was like kind of a little meeting room and there was a huge white wall in the background, which was, you know, putting everyone off. I'm like, what, what could we do? Like, this is, this is an odd thing to shoot against. And it's like, we could do like a photo mural, 
Um, so I showed Rashida some uh, different woods scenarios and she really liked that idea. She felt like that was kind of like bringing motherhood right back to its primal roots and, and discussion of, you know, a bunch of women sitting around uh, discussing the things that affect only them. Um, and it was it was a, a really uh, personal moment. And I think uh, the actress really, uh, really go in. Another set that uh, caught my eye in this episode was when they're at the hotel bar where oh, yeah. it's there's something sort of surreal about that set as well. And I'm, uh, what was the production design elements that were important there? I worked really closely with the DP and the gaffer on that one. We wanted that uh, moment to feel like a, a transition from the success of a moment in business with your colleagues to, you know, the celebration that occurs and how that starts to get out of hand. And it gets, you know, we start to move into slow-mo and, and weirder lighting and stranger setting. And then by the time she's in her hotel room, um, we feel like she's kind of been through this journey and something's getting ready to happen and we don't know what it is. Of course, we find out what it is when she wakes up. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely um, kind of, uh, you know, trying to constantly up the ante a little bit visually until uh, until it exploded, basically. So these episodes keep changing um, their tone. Let's talk about the woman who was fed by a duck. Oh, I love this episode. Uh, so this episode was directed by our showrunner, Liz, and this was what Liz Flayhive. Uh, this was her uh, kind of maiden journey into directing. As much time as she spent on set, it was she was fantastic, of course. And uh, we had a lot of conversations about what this, this episode should look like. We really wanted to kind of push it into um, uh, kind of a, a romantic comedy look. Um, but then, of course, by the end of that, it turns a little thrillery <laughs> as well. Uh, as we discovered that this this new uh, character in her life isn't what, who, she, who she thought he was. Yeah. Um, so I played a little bit with the movie Green Card. Um, there was the sets in that had the right flavor with Annie McDowell, um, the kind of romantic comedy of that. And then being John Malkovich also played in a lot because of the, the kind of surreal world inside of the very normal world. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the oddest thing about that uh, episode was uh, just the basic conceit um, that, uh, you know, she's going to fall in love with the duck. And how do we make all of that work on camera as believably as possible? Uh, you know, because that's so surreal and strange. So a lot of it came down to um, building the, an apartment that was habitable um, for the various ducks that were being trained. There were no CG ducks. Um, I think there was a couple of CG moments with ducks that needed to be amplified. But in general, it was all trained ducks and they're incredible. Um, so they were they were able to rehearse on the set um, prior to our actress arriving and kind of get them used to what their marks were going to be and the duck trainers were incredible so there was a lot of uh, a lot of <laughs> collaboration with departments I've never worked with before. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> um, but of course that POV of the duck uh, makes a big difference in how you design an apartment or anything. Um, everything is going to be at about you know a foot in height POV when you're in his POV. So that definitely created different challenges I've not experienced before in design, but I loved it. It was super fun. You're like, let's let's take our iPhone and walk around on you know a foot off the floor and see how that looks. Okay, we need a little more dirt here. We need a vent there. You know, <laughs> uh, it was really fun. And so this apartment, was this a stage set? You didn't go find an apartment like that, this kind of work. No, we, uh, we looked around for an exterior first so that we knew what to kind of build towards. Um, and we found a, a great spot that uh, didn't feel too Los Angeles. There were no palm trees. We wanted to kind of keep it ambiguous, but also quasi uh, Colorado was discussed at one point in the script. Um, so we wanted to keep a kind of general Midwest. Uh, so we found this great little uh, street in Los Feliz that had uh, 
the right uh, kind of brownstone looks almost. And, uh, and then we built around that uh, so that we were able to use the front porch and, uh, and the street leading up. But uh, the idea was that it, uh, it felt kind of run down and um, like she hadn't really cared about her own life or her own apartment for a really long time. And, and you know, the sudden like romantic interest sparked her interest in herself again. So we had to, of course, create a scenario where the apartment could be dressed up a little over time, get a little bit better over time. But of course, that has to happen during a, a production. <laughs> so it has to happen, <laughs> not just in real time, but before camera gets there. Right. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. And the apartment really does reflect her character and the journey her character's on because it changes as mm. this relationship develops. For sure. Um, I know there, there was a, uh, a bathtub scene that was kind of like the turning point where they go from just chatting to, are we going to be a couple? Which, by the way, for anybody who watched this episode or does watch this episode and is completely weirded out by the story, I highly recommend that you read the New Yorker article that is mentioned in the short. It's called um, The Duck Sex and the Patriarchy. That's from like 2018. It's a fantastic article kind of about... Uh, the science behind um, duck mating and how uh, that's somewhat reflected in uh, human mating at times. And I think that is a huge influence on how the story plays out. Um, so, so for those who are confused by it, please read that story. <laughs> <laughs> Very helpful for me. But yes, there's a moment where they get in the bathtub together and we really wanted that scene to play like, you know, a scene right out of like Sleepless in Seattle or something, you know, super romantic, uh, romanticized, nostalgic, uh, sweet, um, and uh, so we you know, brought in these uh, pink bougainvillea bushes outside that kind of reflected into the room. That was a big part of what Q and I talked about the DP. Uh, and then a lot of their theme throughout that episode was kind of a pink and green, the pink of her femininity and the green of the mallard uh, kind of playing off of one another. No, it's interesting because that bathroom is also the set where they have an argument later, but it's different. You've changed yeah. it. And is it uh, obviously the lighting was different, but what also from production design did you have to adjust? So what we did was we made the palette of that bathroom something that could be lit for romance or, um, or you know, kind of elegance and charm. But then when it takes a turn later, <laughs> it was lit so you could see all the dirty corners and the kind of gnarliness of it, because that's more of a thriller moment. He's become toxic and, and aggressive. And it's kind of chasing her into the bathroom in this scene. So not quite as romantic at this point, um, which really is primarily lighting. But of course, we had to plan for what that would look like. Uh, and again, a lot of it was the scenic work and and uh, the, the palette choices and the, um, and the tiles and, and the fixtures. And there's another um, uh, set here that I think probably takes um, some thinking about in advance, and that's that patio space that gets transformed when she paints a picnic table and brings in the kiddie pool. But you're also doing some high angle shots down on mm -hmm. that, that I'm curious, was that scripted and you knew from the beginning that they were gonna be you know, looking for that kind of shot and design accordingly, or is that something that developed somehow while you're working on it? It kind of evolves as you go, but uh, it's, it's definitely scripted that there's a, a patio refurbishing um, and that she uh, kind of creates this romantic world for the two of them outside. And that's kind of what wins him over to her and vice versa. Um, so we knew a lot of that was coming, that there would be a remodeling going on and uh, maybe something would get painted. I suggested a picnic table. I thought that might work the, the most effectively because it was so specific to their story. And we kind of approached that exterior set so that it wasn't completely real, um, but more almost sitcom real, you know, like something out of an episode of Friends um, or, or even Sesame Street played in a little bit. We wanted a little bit of that, you know, kind of um, almost childish, whimsical look uh, to the exterior so that it felt more um, charming. 
And while the apartment is where the majority of the action this episode takes place, they do meet at a park. There are several scenes in the park, uh, particularly in the in the early part of the show. What are your thoughts about knowing where this is going? Is there anything special about the production design you do in the park? Well, the, the funny thing is that we were shooting this in the absolute hottest part of the summer. Um, <laughs> so the, the biggest concern was how to get through the shoot day without, you know, uh, like everything burning up. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of dried grass. There was a lot of like you know, um, detritus everywhere. So it was, it was definitely a keeping up with the, the location to keep it looking kind of pristine and, and pretty and like a romantic comedy. Um, when in reality, it was not that way at all. It took quite a bit of effort, uh, more so than we'd probably go into here. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, uh, you said it was one of your favorites, also one of my favorites. The last one I think I'm going to ask you about today is the woman who returned her husband. Oh my gosh, this was such a funny episode. Um, so this episode was directed by Q, um, who is the DP for several of the episodes, uh, Q and Tran. Um, she is so funny and really just dove into this episode. The, uh, <laughs> the fun part about this was how to approach this in a way, much again, like the, the being John Malkovich of the Duck episode, where everything is grounded and real, but also a little bit uh, off <laughs> like you don't actually have a story where you can return your husband but we wanted that to feel as real as possible even though it's funny it just needed to to read as true um so we did certain things uh that over time i've learned worked well um in production design like the the film edward scissorhands so this is a film where completely ridiculous things happen all the time they're absurd but they also uh, provide this kind of grounded element with like the avon lady um who lives in the cute little suburbia you know, it's over the top, it's corny, but it also grounds the goth character up on the hill. Um, so we're trying to do the same thing with this. It's like if you're going to be able to return your husband to the store, then also your neighborhood should have like a certain kind of corny flavor to it. And the store should have like a everydayness to it, almost like a Mayberry quality to it. Um, but that being in you know a contemporary world, not so much Mayberry as say Costco or um, Sam's Club or Home Depot. Um, so we're just trying to keep things as every day and grounded as possible so that when we went into like you know some cute colors for the neighborhood and did that cookie cutter um, kind of suburban vibe of say Edward Scissorhands that it would work that they would play off of one another and juxtapose properly. Well I think all of these episodes were effective and there's four we didn't even talk about but to wrap us up Todd how do you feel about the whole project and how it came together? It was so fun. And I'm, I'm really hoping we do a second season because there's so many more stories to, to plumb here. And I think that the half hour format creates a world in which you can really play. I know the writers were able to to really like take some risks and, and do things you don't normally do. Um, and you're not having to support that story over the course of, you know, 10 hours of content and the characters coming through all these different uh, scenarios. They're, they're in and out in half an hour. So it really gives them a chance to make art in a way. And, and for me, that's super appealing. Um, the chance to do something that you don't normally get to do that's veering closer to an art film than a movie, love it. Well, I'm also hoping you get that second season. On that note, we're going to call it a wrap, Todd. Really great having you here. Thank you so much, Skid. It was great being here. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, below the line one word dot biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media. So check it out. Todd, what are you working on? Or where are we going to see your work next? I just uh, completed designs of a lighthouse in space uh, for uh, showrunner Zach Penn. Uh, the show is called uh, Beacon 23. I think it'll be about a year before we see anything on it, but it's very exciting.
And you also were working on First Lady, right? Yes, uh, I was half of the team there. There were two teams. Uh, our team came in first to be created, the, you know, built the White House and did all of the elements for the Betty Ford block. And then the second team came in and did the, um, the Obamas and the Roosevelts by redressing the White House and a zillion more locations. That was a crazy show. I think we had 350 cents when it was all over. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, so folks should check those out as well. My shout outs are the regular bunch. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again for Below the Line.